And you know what? If you have to be dismissed, you might as well go ahead and be dismissed now. Because we might be here a while. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Pastor Marty preaches until the Lord says he's done. He can have his way. One of the things I think was key in revivals of the past is Sunday night we didn't have any rush out. We had no place to go. I don't care if Brahms closes. Sometimes I do get anxious if Andy's closes. But I don't care if Brahms closes. I can get an ice cream tomorrow. But right now I want the sweet presence of the Holy God. I introduced our pastor, my very close friend, Brother Marty and Dana. We've been knowing them since right before they got married. They were We were a young couple in the church. As they were a young couple in the church. He stood in my wedding. And uh, it wasn't because I didn't have any friends. It's just that I, I lost them all when I got saved. And I just tell you, young people, who you think is your friend may not be your friend. I mean, oh, to find a friend like this, can I tell you that if in all of your life you find two people you can confide in, you're very wealthy indeed. Just two. Two people that will die for you. Won't go to hell for you, but they'll die for you. That's huge. And uh, and I call Brother Marty, and Brother Marty calls me, and we preach to each other like we don't preach enough. But we just get on on the phone, and we just preach and tell each other what God is saying in our lives, and he's been a blessing. Brother Marty, you've been a blessing in my life, you and Dana, and we appreciate you, the work of God down there. We're looking forward to come down and, uh, and ministering there and with Matthew 25 and in New Orleans. We're going to do a work for God in Louisiana. And I've been living in Missouri longer than I've been living in, in Louisiana now. I guess that means I'm getting older. But I'm thankful. I believe the will of the Lord was accomplished in sending us here. And I don't want to die without seeing the Lord move again. Like he did in the revival I got saved in. In the early 80s. The Lord swept through South Louisiana and all over the nation. And uh, saved a boy like me. And if he can do it for me, how many know he can do it for others that are waiting in the balance? So I want you to help me welcome Brother Marty. Come on, brother, and preach to us tonight. Give God, give God's servant a hand and open your ears. Get your Bible out. He's going to preach the word. And uh, this, is a, this is all the water that Brother Terry gave you. So don't, don't quit preaching just because you run out of water, brother. Just keep going. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's good to be here again. It's an honor to be in this church. Uh, just humbled that we could preach the gospel anywhere. Sure enjoy being here, being with Ronnie and Melissa again, lifetime friends. I met him when we first moved to South Louisiana. My dad was an associate pastor at First Assembly in Pine Bluff for a few years. And then first church and only church he ever pastored was in South Louisiana. And uh, I had to join the church when I was 13 so we could have 20 members. So the bank would lend us some money to do a building addition. The gross income of the church that my dad went to had never been over $10,000 in its history. And he went down there full time with three kids. And uh, on the fellowship hall that's at that church still to this day, he dug the footings on that with his own hands with the shovel. Took him three weeks. Could have hired a guy with a backhoe and done it in a day or so, two days, just didn't have the money. So I, and I know that it's the principle of the kingdom that a great price has been paid 
here for what we experienced in this altar today. And you need to understand that, young people. I appreciate young people. I love young people. I, that's what I did. That's what I always wanted, felt called to do my whole life. I remember when I got ordained, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, all I want to do is be a youth pastor. And uh, I always felt like that the Lord had called me to work with the young people of the city, not just the young people in the church. You know, we got a lot of competitions in churches today. I'm going to tell you, the devil's got the biggest youth group in town. And we, I'm excited to see young people sitting on the first row. I will warn you. Sometimes I get excited. I was preaching at a youth camp one time. And it was crowded. It was so crowded, I couldn't even have a pulpit. I had to hold my Bible. And I was preaching away, and there was a young guy. Man, he was hanging on every word I was saying. He was sitting on the front row. And he had his mouth open, and I spit right in his mouth. He got the Holy Ghost just like that. <laughs> True story. No, he's not the Holy Ghost part. True story. I did spit in his mouth. So you might want to be careful. Amen. Well, let's get our Bibles back out. Luke chapter 24. We're looking at the surrender of Christianity. It's a theme the Lord laid upon my heart. Here, I, I'll tell you, I actually uh, was preaching in a camp meeting in California when the Lord laid what I'm going to share with you tonight on my heart for that camp meeting. And I ended up preaching a series of this. I don't even, I really hadn't finished it. I've got probably 50 or 60 messages on this thought. The surrender of Christianity. But we're not just talking about our surrender to Christ. There's more depth to this Christian walk than just surrendering your life to Christ. We're talking about the surrender of Christ to our Heavenly Father in us. His surrender in us. He's our example in everything, including surrender. So this morning we focused on our want to in this walk. Letting go and letting God. Tonight we want to look more at the want to of Christ in us. How many believe Christ wanted to please the Heavenly Father? And he'll help you not, not just have a desire to please him. He'll help you please him. Can you say amen? His want to will help us overcome everything, including ourselves, which I am convinced is a part of what the Pentecostal message is all about, the Pentecostal experience. Dealing with this flesh, Paul said, I die daily. The reason he had to die daily was because this flesh talked to him every day, just like yours and mine do every day. Why do I need to spend time with the Lord every day? It's not a religious calisthenic. I need to spend time with him because this talks to me every day. When I wake up, it wants to do something. Amen? So I need the help of the Lord to deal with this every day. Several years ago, I got a call at the church. And it was a lady who used to live in our area, and she no longer did. It was her family, and she had passed away. She lived in Florida, but she had purchased a mausoleum where I, in our area for to be buried in. And she was cremated. And so there wasn't a funeral home involved. and uh, really wasn't anybody affiliated with our church. They just called me. They knew I was a minister. Would you come out, say a few words at the mausoleum on a Saturday morning? I said, I'd be glad to. 
So I think it was 10 o'clock. I showed up in the no funeral home. And the guys that worked in the cemetery had the mausoleum open. And there was less than 20 people there, maybe 20, maybe 20. And they had a couple chairs set up. So it's 10 o'clock and I, I said, I'm ready. And so they walked over to an old beat up car, walked over to the trunk and opened the trunk. They pulled a brown paper sack out of the trunk, reached in the brown paper sack, and pulled out a box. And I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, man, at least ride her ashes in the front seat. I mean, that's somebody's mama, somebody's grandma. <laughs> so they pulled her ashes out of a brown paper grocery sack box. And brother, the Lord spoke to me instantly. And he said, you tell them. Don't you let what's going to become ashes or dirt determine your eternal destiny. Don't you let this flesh and what it wants to do, what it pulls you to do, what it tempts you to do, make your decisions in life. There's something deeper than that. Can you say amen? So part of what we're dealing with is his surrender. What's going to help me surrender to the Heavenly Father? It's his surrender in me. And that's part of what Pentecost is all about. So let's read this text again we read this morning. Just to bring us back, we're going to pick up with verse 31 of Luke 22. It's the scene of the Last Supper. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thou that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. What did Jesus tell Simon he was going to pray that wouldn't fail? His faith. Verse 34, he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock. Well, Peter said, let me read third, verse 33 again. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. I'll die for you, God. I'll go to jail for you, God. Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You're going to deny me three times before this day's over. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? Did you need anything when I sent you there? Sent you? And they said nothing. Then he then said he unto them, but now he that hath the purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is, it is enough. And he came out and went as he, he was wont to the Mountain of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. 
and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Taking our theme from the thought, verse 42, Not my will, but thine be done. The surrender of Christianity. Now, I made reference to John 17 this morning, which is I believe it's a real Lord's Prayer. Some believe it was prayed here in the setting of the Last Supper. Could have been. Some believe might have prayed it out on the Mount of Olives. I believe it was here probably at the end of the Last Supper because I think John records that he went to the mountain or the garden after he prayed John 17. But regardless, it's a prayer that God Almighty chose to open up his relationship for all of his people to receive between his own himself and his own begotten son. Now I want to tell you, young people, if you want to do good studies in Scripture, study the prayers of God's people. Because God chooses in those settings to open up the intimacy he had with those individuals. <clears throat> and you can learn a whole lot of things from those prayers as God allows us to see into the relationship he has with his people. So as we mentioned this morning, the surrender of Christ is meant to be established in our Christ-likeness because he is our example in everything, which includes surrender. It is in this position and only in this position that the greatest depths of relationship can really be reached. Now we're going to try to look at three things concerning surrender tonight. Number one, the test of surrender. Number two, the truth of surrender. And number three, the triumph of surrender. The test, the truth, and the triumph. First, the test of surrender. Now, I want to do a disclaimer as Brother Ronnie used that term this morning. I do not want to be identified in any way with the move of our day to de-deify Christ. There's a deliberate move to de-deify Christ. I'm not a part of that. Don't want to be identified with that. We know that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. All at the same time. I really don't understand all of that, but I just know that it's true. But his humanity can be seen from time to time throughout Scripture. And in fact, the theme of the Gospel of Luke, the focus of the Gospel of Luke is the perfect, everybody say perfect, perfect humanity of the Son of Man. That's the theme of that Gospel the perfect humanity of Christ, where I believe we find the greatest evidences of his humanity. There were times when Jesus was hungry. There was times when Jesus was thirsty. There were times when he felt and was moved by what can be described as human emotion. There was a time even when he wept. There was times he was disappointed. There was even a time when he got angry. But he never sinned. It's okay to be angry. Just don't let it cause you to sin. Amen? So we see evidences of humanity. But we know that in all of those times, even though his humanity was speaking, his humanity, his human nature was trying to influence. He was tempted. But he didn't sin. Even though his humanity was putting pressure on him. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Even though that happened, he never sinned. And he submitted to the will of the Heavenly Father. Every time. All through his life. 
But our text records what I believe to be the battle of all battles. And you can't say it wasn't real. And you can't say that human, human nature was not pulling at Jesus Christ because he's battling with the decision. He's praying. An angel was sent to strengthen him. He's sweating drops of blood. The intensity we can't even imagine. Where human will is is pulling on Christ, the Son of God. It's at an all-time high. And the ultimate surrender can be seen of our human will to the will of God. And let me tell you, it took place at the end of the life of Jesus Christ, his last night on earth before he died. The decision to be crucified was made in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have called 10,000 angels. We know that. But I want to tell you, one of the things that I've come to learn about and appreciate about the nature of Christ, the older I get, is the restraint of Jesus Christ. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. There were two thieves that was nailed, one on each side, and one of them was belittling him and making fun of him and even said, if you're really the son of God, Get us off these crosses. And that thief might have believed, but the rest of us thieves would have been in trouble. And the other thief said, would you remember me? He recognized who Jesus was. Would you remember me when you get to paradise? And he said, today. Everybody say today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He submitted. He surrendered. To the will of God. But the battle wasn't on the cross. The battle was in the garden of Gethsemane. He won something in that garden. That Adam and Eve forfeited in the garden of Eden. And I can tell you. We didn't realize. They didn't realize what all they forfeited. It's a great holiness book. You want to read it. It's called Our Lost Estate. And it focuses on what. We forfeited by choosing to please ourselves. I can tell you sin will cost you. You know the old saying, the old three-point sermon, we've all heard it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. It'll take you further than you wanted to go, and it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Every time. I wish I would understand. I wish I would have understood when I was in seventh grade how much the decisions I made in seventh grade were going to affect the rest of my life. Because the devil tries to take something from you young people that you don't understand the value of right now. He's a master of deception. He's been dealing with humanity for thousands of years. He doesn't know everything. He's not, he doesn't have divine attributes. Like some people treat him like he's the wicked God. He doesn't have divine qualities. He's a created being. That's why he comes asking questions all the time. Because he doesn't know everything. Let me just tell you something. The reason truth does not change is because God does know everything. And the reason the science of our world is changing is because men don't know everything. So you have the privilege of building your life off of truth and making your decisions based according to truth. And if you'll do that, you'll benefit. If you don't, you lose. But truth does not change. If it's ever been true, it will always be true. So what men proclaim, what men teach, Constantly changes. Philosophies change. Traditions change. Cultures change. Social entities change. I told you this morning there's a social shift in our country right now. 
The way people think is being changed. It's being manipulated in a great way. You need to understand that. Why is that so important? Because the mind is the devil's playground. It's his battleground. It's where he messes with you. And if you give him a little bit, he's going to take everything. Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. I can tell you that's invaluable in the day and hour we're living in. So the ultimate surrender of our human will. It took place at the end of the life of Jesus Christ, his last night on earth. This was demonstrated at the end of his life and will probably take a lifetime to be established in us. We can see in the life of Paul who wrote the book of Philippians that he was still pressing. I dealt with this a little this morning. The mark, he said, the mark, I'm pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm reaching for it. I'm moving to it. I want to take a step closer to it every day. I'm trying to reach that mark, that standard. In that setting, we find him expressing his desire to know and serve the Lord. In fact, I want to flip over there tonight because I love the words which are recorded there. And I want to read a few verses from Philippians chapter 3. If you want to flip over there with me. I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the best of the best, and the fellowship of his suffering, the worst of the worst, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain it to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained it, either were, all, were already perfect, complete, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count my, not, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a statement. What a way to live. I'm reaching. I'm pressing. I haven't attained it yet, but I want to. I want to know him, every aspect of his existence. I want to stand in his righteousness, not my own. The same man in the same setting, I told you this morning, would later write in Second Timothy, his last letter, that he knew he had finished his course which clearly could possibly point to the attainment of what he had been pursuing. So could it be that Paul laid hold of the surrender of Christ, which opened up a whole different dimension of eternity to him? There can be no doubt that it points to a process in and through life. The surrender in our text in Luke 24 took place in the life of Jesus Christ after all the truth he preached. After all the miracles that he had performed, after all the sick that he had healed, all the life that he had demonstrated, all the hypocrisy he had exposed, all the lives that he had touched. As Brother Ronnie said this morning, all the lives that touched him, all the possessed he had delivered, all the error and sin he had confronted. This surrender took place after all of that. And the weight of this moment, I'm talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
the weight of that moment could be better understood possibly by considering what we would not have here now if he had not passed the test of surrender. Can you think about that with me for a moment? What we would not have here if Jesus Christ had not passed the test of surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, you do know he had a choice, don't you? Sometimes I think we don't realize that he had a choice. Nobody made him lay his life down. He chose to lay his life down. But it was a battle, church. I said it was a battle. Imagine what we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have church. There'd be no grace. Where would we be? I promise you we wouldn't be here, that's for sure. Aren't you thankful that he did win that battle? I said, aren't you thankful? There's nothing, nothing going on in Springfield, Missouri more important than what's going on in the house of God. There's no more more important meeting than what's, what's going on in his house. All over the city, I pray. But I know just like where I live, where you live, fewer and fewer and fewer churches are having church on Sunday night. All of a sudden, what he said in Hebrews about not forsaking the assemblies of yourself together, and so much the more as a manner of some is, as you see the day approaching, all of a sudden that makes a whole new connotation in this climate. Let me tell you something. For you and I to see right out there, we got to see from here. I preached a message at our church during this cold bed. The scope of the sanctuary. For you to see right out there, you got to come in here and focus in on what's going on out there. And I can tell you, if the devil could keep you from church, he'll mess up the way you see. we got to come together in the name of Jesus with his people and get in one mind and one accord. So that the Holy Ghost can flood the sanctuary and deal with us and help us deal with what Christ was dealing with in in Gethsemane. Now the difference is his flesh wasn't sinful, but it still had the pull of humanity. And he felt that. The Bible says he feels all of that like we do, yet without sin. So he overcame there so we can overcome here. As we look at this text, consider the test that we too must pass. The rise in the influence of our carnal human nature can be traced to this setting because the influence of human nature will keep us from the surrender of Christianity. With the rise of the influence of humanism, which is a religion, can you say amen? Which the humanism of God itself is magnified in the climate we're living in. This is the reason why most people never experience this surrender in their lives. We may not be facing the things Christ faced in our text, but I promise you, we will face things like them. People all around us today appear to be praising God. And and they're acting like they're, they're, they're trying to serve God, but they're trying to do it their own way. Well, let me tell you, this Bible says, the Bible says that always, and I'm, not quoting, but all the ways of men are right in his own eyes. And then it says the way, the ways of a man that are right unto him, or the end of that is death. We've got to have something outside of ourselves to create the standards of life or we're going to miss living altogether. 
If all we do is what we want, we're going to bust hell wide open. Are you listening to me? Because the ways that I think are right, that what I see is right, my perceptions of right, will not get me to heaven. People are following Jesus' quote today for all the wrong reasons. What they can get rather than what they can give. That's nothing new. People still follow just for the loaves and the fishes. You ever heard that story? What they can get. Surrender? <laughs> Long ways from it. Not on your life. Most of the church world today treat God like a genie in a bottle. They put him on the shelf until they need him and want their three wishes. And then they go rub the side. And when they get what they think they want, they put him back on the shelf. We don't need you now. I'm not much for drama. There's enough drama with people, but I did see a drama one time, a Christian drama. And there was young people, they were putting it on. And they this girl was like getting ready in her house. And there was a figure that was following her everywhere she went. She'd go over here and turn on her music, and he'd follow her. And then she'd go over here and brush her hair, and he'd follow her, this guy. And everywhere she'd go, he'd follow her. And then she went to leave, and he goes to follow her. And no words, she just tells him to stop. He stops. She goes to go out the door, and he goes to follow her. And she gets more demonstrative. Stop. He stops. She goes to go out the door, he goes again, and she gets mad and pushes him. And he backs up. She goes to leave and he comes again. So she goes in and she simulates nailing him to a cross. So she can go out without him. And it demonstrates a true point, doesn't it? How many of you have ever felt that presence trying to keep you from doing something? How many of you have ever felt that presence trying to keep you from going somewhere? Looking at something you're not supposed to look at. Listen to something you're not supposed to listen to. I want to tell you, he cares that much about you. He wants to keep you from doing things that's going to separate us from from him for eternity. And he does that by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. In fact, in the very setting of of the Last Supper, in the upper room discourse, Jesus told the disciples that when he sent the spirit of truth, the comforter, that he would convict the world of sin. That's everyone's first experience in the presence of the Holy Ghost. We realize what we are. And then the next thing he convicts us of is righteousness. What is that? He's convicting us and showing us what we can be. And then he convicts of judgment and lets us know that you will be judged for what you are in light of what you can be if you let him have his way. Surrender. I want to let him make me what he created me to be. And that's really what we're dealing with in this text. Pay attention to the tone of the church world, the conversations that are going on. You'll find that the theology is still all about us. In the end, they will not only betray and deny God, they'll betray and deny you. Brother Ronnie just said, if you find how many friends in life, you're blessed. How many? Two. Why? Because people aren't allowing the surrender of Christ to be, to be established in them. The religion humanity produces in Christ's day 
tried to totally eliminate him. And they'll do the same to you and I. They influence, they affect, they, they pressure. It's impossible to have a relationship with anyone or anything that's, and not be influenced by them in some form or fashion. And we must admit this to ourselves. If we don't admit the influence and the pressure, we have lost already. Oh, we come up with nice words that make it easier to listen to peer pressure, stuff like that. I want to tell you, it's a real pressure. Now, when I was a young person, I used to think if I can just get out of school, I, I'll get rid of peer pressure. Well, that wasn't true. And I'm telling you right now, I'm under more pressure now than I've ever been. Because it doesn't stop just because you're in school. People are always going to be trying to conform you into what they want you to be. So although it was not necessarily in Christ, the fact that it was all around him, I'm talking about the pressure and the influence. The pressure was there. He overcame it. And because he did, we can. So I want to kind of give you a picture of what really took place in Luke 24, prior to Luke 24. And I want to point this out, and you know it, it's familiar stuff, but I want you to see with me the way that we're going to look at it tonight, the the, the digression of humanity. How many of y'all know men are getting worse every day? I mean, a while back, we got a report about 45 minutes from where we live in a town called New Iberia. Mama put a four-year-old in the oven. That's without natural affection. It's reaching an all-time high. Heard of a mama drowning all of her kids a while back. What's happening? Men are trying to do what's right in their own eye. And when they do, you lose sight of what's really right, and you make everything okay. And that's what we do. So in Luke 24, before the Last Supper, the thing we see, maybe a few chapters earlier, I didn't look it up, but the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem. It took place about a week before the Last Supper. He comes into the city of Jerusalem. Everybody's Hosanna. They're worshiping, praising. They think that their anointed one, the Messiah, has come to set up the kingdom then. But something had to be done first. Although this event was foretold in the Old Testament, it basically took place because in the moment, in that moment, humanity believed that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on the spot. Things were going to be different in Jerusalem. We were going to get vengeance. We were going to get our just dues. They had no idea that what was going to happen in that city that week would change the world forever. Their perceptions, their concepts, their feelings, their thoughts, their humanity. Cause them to miss what really was happening. They were so consumed with themselves and their position that all they thought about was what they could get out of his presence among them. He was indeed there for them, but not in any way, shape, or form like they thought. You be careful, and I'm warning you, when your perceptions and your ideas and feelings, the way you see things, get on the same level of authority in your life as the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, in light of the word of God, the way you see things really don't amount to a hill of beans. But I've heard people, why did you do that? Well, I just felt like it was right. You need more than that. I just thought it was the right thing to do. You need more than that. Do not let your human feelings, your human perceptions, your human ideology, your human thoughts to get on the same level as the word of God in your life. The moment you do, you are in trouble. 
They thought Christ was going to go down to the Roman hall of government and address all the wrong things, to set things in order, and everyone else. Does any of that attitude sound familiar? The victim mentality is prevalent in the world we're living in. Our failures is always somebody else's fault. I wouldn't have done that if they hadn't have done this. We're supposed to do right no matter what. Christ did. He went to their seat of religion because that was what it had become. He didn't go down to the Roman Hall of Government. Where did Jesus go when he rode into the city of Jerusalem? He went to the temple. He went to cleanse the temple where Christ set things in divine order. They thought he should go to the Roman Hall of Government, but he went to their temple and he did set things in order by casting out everyone who did not belong and overthrowing everything that was out of order. Dare I say, he dealt with the things that were the result of the rise of humanity in his house. Remember, whose house is it? His house. The results are worth noting, because if you go read Matthew's account, when Jesus got everything out that didn't belong, then the, the gospel of Matthew says that they begin to bring the sick in, and the blind begin to see, and the lame begin to walk, and they were healed. Why, Brother Marty? Because things were in divine order again. And so it will be in our life. We can see what happens when God is allowed to be God, when he is put in his rightful place, when and where genuine surrender is in place, and God is allowed to be God, and the same thing's true for your life, your home, and mine, and this church. As a society, the good old American, I love this country. I've traveled all over and preached. It's the greatest country in the world. There's a reason why everybody's trying to get here. Society, we have rejected him. We're not a Christian society anymore. I remember when we, when I was a little boy, up till about the fourth grade in the state of Arkansas is where I was born and raised. I remember in public school when they read the Bible every day, they prayed every day and we did, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Up till about the fourth grade. That would have been probably 19. 72. They took it out. What are we saying? God, we don't need you in our education system no more. We can handle it. You want to know why we got all the problems we got today? Because God left it to us. We don't want your commandments on the courtroom walls anymore. That's why we got all the mess we got today. We don't want your name in our pledge. We don't want your name. And God, we trust on our money. Worst thing God can do is leave us to ourselves because we need him. We're living with the results of those choices, folks. So he goes, he cleanses the temple. He sets things in order. We're living in a society that's kicked him out. And the results is quite the opposite. The church is affected and influenced, dare I say, even pressured by all these choices around us. And in the end, what do we find? Not the divine order of God, but the rise of the disorders of men. Folks, the divine order of God is way better than the disorders of men. We have a nice little term that makes it easier to swallow. We call them syndromes. Syndromes. It's the disorders of men. 
And the first three letters, I know it's S-Y-N, but it's sin. Maybe that is the problem, sin. And I'm not telling you every syndrome is caused by sin. I'm just telling you the disorders of men result when the divine order of God is rejected. So here we are. Don't God, didn't God leave the church here to do the influencing? Didn't he leave us here to keep men from doing those type things? reality of our world is the church is the one being pressured and in matthew's account he notes that when things were back in order in god's house even the religious notice because in matthew's account the bible says they said the wonderful things that he jesus did they acknowledged they were wonderful things the next thing after he rides into the city and then he goes to he goes to clean the temple out is the authority of christ is openly challenged in, in a few days, folks, he rides in, they're celebrating. He goes to this, 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 the temple and cleanses it out. And now he, his authority is openly challenged. I mean, they recognized who he was when he rode in on Palm Sunday, you know. Here we see it again, the ugly rise of humanity because the religious were more interested in control than divine order, and they always are. It might be better stated instead of the rise of humanity, the fall of humanity. As it's clear, when we're left to ourselves, we move farther and farther away from God, deeper and deeper into the abyss of sin, which simply means men are farther from God today than they've ever been. Oh, Brother Marty, you're overreacting. I wish I was. This came out, I was preaching in Tennessee about three or four weeks ago, and, and, and while I was there, I was with a dear friend of mine from California. He was speaking at the same meeting, and he told me about the United Methodist Church that just recently ordained the first transgendered pastor. It's a man that dresses like a woman. You think that's going to lead you to heaven? Do you? And to top it all off, he changes it its name to Pentecost. You think that's an accident? That's deliberate. The authority of God is being openly challenged. And you and I are living there. The answer is still the same today as it's always been, no matter how far we fall, the surrender of Christianity. Our text teaches that Jesus began to teach some powerful truths daily in the temple which would help anyone. But instead of accepting the help and listening to the message, the religious got mad and they began to, they planned his death. Why? Why, Brother Marty? Humanity. Human carnal nature. And then Luke 24, we had the Last Supper. These were the events prior to. And that attitude had influenced the disciples. I'll show you how. While we find the institution of the Lord's Supper where some unbelievable things can be seen about relationship, as Jesus tries to prepare his disciples, as he always does, for some devastating changes that were coming, they had no idea that he would be hanging on a cross shortly. They had no idea that he would be beat within the inch of his life before their very eyes. They had no idea what was coming. He tried to tell them, but they didn't have ears to hear him. Do we think that that was the only generation that didn't have ears to hear him or eyes to see him? Are you kidding me? He implements the Lord's Supper. Christ reveals that he would be betrayed by one of them. In our text, he he revealed that he would be denied by one of them. And again, we see the rise of humanity. You go study it. 
when he told them he was going to betray, be betrayed, they begin to question among themselves about who it would be. And, and we're talking about the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, the best of the best, the elect of that day. They wanted to know who was going to betray him. They begin to defend themselves. They started talking about what they had done, their various positions that they had gained. And it ended up when Jesus told them that one of you is going to betray me. It ended up with an argument about who was the greatest. They forgot what Jesus had warned them about. They didn't hear anything he had said. And I'm talking about the best of the best. They lost focus on what he had said. They forgot what he said. And it became about them instead of him. At the Last Supper, they forfeited vision without which we perish. It's an unbelievable scene, folks, when you really think about it. Because of the opportunity and the possibility, what Jesus was really trying to accomplish in their life, yet humanity caused those present to almost miss everything. I promise you, I promise you, this surrender will be tested. Let me just point out the difference that Pentecost made in the lives of these same disciples. Because you and I know the night he was crucified, they were hiding and running, and denying even knowing him. But 50 days later, those same disciples walked out of that upper room full of the Holy Ghost, and they stood in that same city and pointed their finger in the face of those religious leaders that had crucified him because of their desire to control, because of their desire to have their way, because of their desire to have their own perceptions carried out. They pointed their finger in their faces and said, You killed! the Son of God, but He's alive today. He rose again. How did they know? Because that life was in them. They were full of a a spirit from another world. We need the Holy Ghost, folks. You see, in our humanity, we'll never reach this place of surrender. This life will test our surrender, not just to Christ, but in Christ. You hear me tonight? It is only by submission to God's word, commitment to God's will, and dependence upon the Holy Ghost that we will ever pass this test of surrender. This life brings it not to Christ, but of Christ. To pass this test, we need Christ. We need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And full of the glory of God. Amen. Let him help you surrender. Surely this is what Paul was talking about when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He's talking about dealing with this every day. Number two, the truth of surrender. And I won't be as long, so don't get nervous. According to Brother Ryan, there's nothing but dynasty on television anyway. Well, he showed his age, huh? <laughs> you know, Brother Ronnie used to be a black belt in karate. Oh, yeah. I think it was a black belt anyway. He took it forever. He used to kick, he told me, he used to kick a wall with his foot behind his head. I'd like to see him do that now. <laughs> That's the truth. 
Truth or surrender. Let's look at it. Now, this set the stage for our text. I just went through what happened in Luke 20, prior to Luke 24, where things are a bit different. It is one thing for Christ to be in us, but quite another for us to be in him. Brother Ronnie said that in this service tonight. In the book of Ephesians, Paul deals with our position in Christ. He talks about it for the first three chapters. You go read it. You'll see in him, in Christ. It, I mean, it's 35 times or something like that. He deals with the position that's possible for you and I to have in Christ. The last three chapters, he deals with the practice of Christ and how we put that position into our practice in everyday life. And he ends with putting on what? Anybody know what's in the latter part of Ephesians? Put on the what? The whole armor of God. He's trying to teach us how to take full advantage of the position that Christ has purchased us the right to be in and practice Christianity, Christ-likeness in our daily life. So it is with this kind of surrender. It's evident in a life of a person that's implemented the surrender of Christ. Jesus makes it abundantly clear as he speaks directly to Peter about his coming denial in Luke 24. Peter responded again in his humanity, and we see a bit of commitment begin to try and surface, but it's far from a total, complete surrender, not just to Christ, but his surrender in us. Here we can see, as we have already alluded to, that there is indeed a tremendous difference between commitment and surrender. And here's the difference. Commitment is gauged by the level of investment while surrender is measured by the level of control. Commitment is gauged by the level of investment, while surrender is measured by the level of control. The depth of control is really the issue with surrender. So the greater his control, the more intimate we can be with him, the greater our degree or level of intimacy. We're living in a world that struggles with commitment. Therefore, this idea of surrender is foreign to us. I really hate to say it, but it's rarely even seen in the church. It's my church. No, it's his church. It's my pew. No, it's his pew. My parking spot. No, it's his parking spot. I'll tell you one thing. You get close to somebody's whatever that they hadn't totally given to God, and humanity will come out. There's a tremendous difference in the surrender God is trying to teach us as compared to what comes to our mind as human beings when we think about surrender. When a man puts a gun to my face and I've had that happen, I have to surrender or what happens? I die. I surrender to keep from dying. But when we surrender to God, we surrender so we can live. Oh, come on, church. We choose to because we want to. We want to have what he's made available. We we want to have eternal life. So to have that, I have to die to myself. It's not a popular message, but what does Paul say? Mortify the deeds of the flesh. See, one avoids death. The other is the essence of life. It brings about the death of our carnality so Christ can live. This surrender is not grievous. Though it may very well be difficult, the end results are glorious. In fact, 
It is really the only way we experience the light that God means for us to possess. Without this, we just exist. Do you know that most men just exist? Very few ever really live. Why? Because they're pursuing pleasure. Pleasure never satisfies. Never. There's a day when I woke up every morning and all I wanted to do was climb trees. You think I'd get up with that on my mind any day, today? What happens? To get the same thrill climbing a tree when I was a little boy the next day, then I got today, what do I have to do? I got to go higher. You got it. Somebody's pointing. You got to go higher. How many of y'all know about the higher I go, what, what is eventually going to happen? I'm going to get to a limb that what? That's why I don't climb trees. Those rent, I mean, I can't go very far. There's a day in my life when, when I was in the swimming pool, it was a thrill to get off the steps. Then to swim across the three foot. Then to swim across five foot, across the deep, dive off the diving board. I swam across bayous. I swam when alligators were chasing me. Now, if I, if I got to get in the water, I won't floaties on. And they're pretty big ones. What are you saying? Swimming don't satisfy. Cause I always got to go further. I always got to go faster. First time I drove, I went about 10 miles an hour. How many of y'all know we don't drive 10 no more? And you bring that nature into negative behavior. And how many of y'all understand why we have so many addictions today? I got to drink more. I got to drug more. I got to try more stuff, you know, because it don't satisfy. What does it do? It don't set you free. It just puts another hook in you. I want to tell you who will set you free. And I want to tell you what does satisfy purpose. Because God created you, young lady, and you, young man, for something that he didn't create create nobody else for. Told the prophet Jeremiah before you was in your mother's womb. I had a plan and a purpose for you. And that purpose will satisfy your soul. That's what Paul was saying. I finished. I found my purpose. When he was before King Agrippa, he said, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. What a thing to be able to say at the end of your life. I found my purpose and I fulfilled it. I'm talking about living, not just existing. Amen. That's good preaching, Brother Marty. Amen. The surrender in our text ended in the salvation of all men. Life for all men. Our Father believed that the prayer recorded in our text is the complete and total surrender of humanity, of the humanity of Christ and all that that entails. Now listen to me. It is only because of his surrender in that setting that you and I can be brought to a place of surrender now by the convicted power of the Holy Ghost today. We can surrender now only because he surrendered then. I want to tell you, it was an advantage for you and I that Christ went through that battle in his humanity because he overcame there you and I can overcome here in him hallelujah if I was going to run I'd do it right now I'm just going to tell you we can overcome whatever because he overcame there in his humanity and that's an advantage for us hallelujah we would be without hope today 
If Christ had not surrendered in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he did, and now we do have hope. You see, the humanity of Christ is a tremendous advantage for us, especially those of us who long to be like him because only because he overcame it. Christ's likeness is meant to do more than just bring our humanity to a place of complete and total surrender to God. It is meant to enable us to establish his surrender in our lives with a spirit-filled, spirit-led life, which may very well be the greatest aspect of God's grace after salvation. And it sure points us to the importance of Pentecost. It's a lifestyle. It's meant to draw us by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost in the opposite direction than our human nature would pull us. And we need the Holy Ghost to do that. The question becomes in all that we're facing, since we know God's grace is sufficient for every situation, the question becomes, is my surrender up to this task? Is my surrender up to this task? This is why we need the surrender of Christ, because he is. He is up to the task. His triumph proves it. So listen, here's what happened. I surrendered my life to him over 35 years ago. But I have been learning his surrender ever since. As we look at human history, the digression of our nature is undeniable. There's an obvious decline. I've already said a few things to prove it. But one generation removed from the Garden of Eden, one generation from disobeying God and eating a piece of fruit, men are already committing murder. One. The fall is rapid, but the bottom cannot be imagined or defined. You think you heard the worst of humanity. Wake up tomorrow and a new low will be reached. But folks, we are not without hope because God teaches us that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God also promised in the last days to pour out his spirit upon not just 120. Are you listening to me? God said, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh. We have hope today. I believe the church is going out in greater glory than it came in regardless of the depth of sin that humanity sinks to. We don't have to get caught up in the flow of this world. We can be in this world, but we don't have to be of this world. We can live here with our eyes on eternity, set apart for the glory of God. God has always had a people, and this last day will be no different. Look up, church, our redemption draweth nigh. I said, look up, our redemption draweth nigh. The point is digression is obvious. All we have to do to decline is please ourselves instead of God. Just make what we want okay. That's why humanity is getting worse, waxing worse every day. That's what self-centered evil men do. Oh, look, let me just show you. The Garden of Eden. Humanity simply seeks to please itself. But what ended up happening? They forfeited everything. Everything that really mattered. And all the gospel is about is that God's trying to restore it all. That's all. Get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Humanity is sleeping. Much like today, totally unaware of what's really going on. 
That's why Paul calls upon the church to do what in the last days? Wake up! We've allowed the mindset of the world to rock us to sleep, but Jesus is coming. Listen, in our text, the battle wasn't in, the battle was in prayer, not in opening, openly challenging the arrest, and humanity missed it. They slept. We can't afford as a church of the living God to miss what God is trying to do in this hour. So in the garden, they sought to please himself. In the garden of Gethsemane, humanity is sleeping, but at the cross, Humanity's playing games. The deceptive power of the devil today was at an all-time high, but Christ surrendered and won for all of us. And I'm telling you, Jesus is about to call the church home. He's about to call us out of here. And instead of listening to the church, humanity is attacking the church. What we've done today at Oak Grove is under attack in the United States of America, as I preach. You and I freely coming together to church, gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping Almighty God, proclaiming the truth of His Word, is under direct attack today. North of the border, you couldn't even, you can't even say some of the things I've said from this pulpit today. Get arrested. I'm aware of preachers that have been. Not directly, but through common acquaintances. In Canada. That's not very far from Missouri. Are y'all listening to me? I'm not an alarmist. I'm a realist. Number three, the triumph of surrender. Aren't you glad we're going to end in victory? As we consider both the test of surrender, the truth of surrender, the issue becomes, can we surrender like Christ? I believe Saul of Tarsus did. I told you that this morning. Who are you, Lord? What will you have me to do? You see, he left Damascus with a whole different agenda than he went there with. Why? He saw Christ. And I believe it's Paul, the one who wrote the words that I may know him. I read from Philippians, grew to know Christ in a greater way. He came to a place where he experienced the triumph of surrender. Not his surrender, but the surrender of Christ in him. Because hear me, folks, greater knowledge of God leads to greater surrender to God. And greater surrender to God opens the door for a greater knowledge of God. They go hand in hand because this is a relationship. There's without a question a triumph of surrender, a real victory that brings a security into our existence that cannot be known any other way. In Paul's life, he came to the place where he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as we briefly looked at the digression of humanity through Scripture, we need to point out the progression of the kingdom of God. It warrants a glance as well because each of us each of us gives in to or surrenders to one nature or the other. You're either going to give in to your humanity or you're going to give in to the Christ in you. Growth or advancement in the kingdom in the Old Testament was not measured by surrender, but rather by possession. We know that when God brings us out, it's to bring us in. If God brings you out of something, it's always to bring you into something greater. It's his principle. God did not deliver the people out of Egyptian bondage for them to die in the wilderness. 
They died. They brought death upon themselves because they forfeited the triumph of surrender. They had been delivered. The trip, the trip was about a two week trip. But when they got to the edge of Canaan land, they weren't ready to cross. So he sends them back for 40 years. One day, for each day the spies was in the land of Canaan. One year for each day. They brought that upon themselves. They stopped short of what God wanted them to do. By the absence of, but come on now, they were delivered. There's an absence of complete and total surrender. It caused them to stop short of what God wanted them to be. See, it's more than just about what we do. It's what we are. So God had a plan for them and he wanted to use them to accomplish his purpose and glorify his name in Canaan. And in their humanity, they got distracted. Well, I want to tell you, he has just a greater plan for his church today. We can't afford to get distracted. What is our humanity going to cost us? Let me just stop and say the greatest security is found in the greatest surrender. I submit to you that the Exodus generation could have been the conquering generation if they would have finished. And I, and even after they finally did cross over 40 years later, God had to repeatedly challenge them to possess all the land that God meant for them to possess. Time and time again, God questioned them. How long is it going to take you to possess all the land that I've given you, that I stored up for you? Well, as it was in possessing in the Old Testament, so it is in surrendering under the new covenant. I believe with all my soul, the Lord wants me to ask you, have we stopped short of the triumph of complete and total surrender? Again, I'm not talking about surrender to Christ, but the surrender of Christ in us. Have we stopped short? I submit to you that we cannot reach such a place in and of ourselves. It is not about our surrender to Christ, but whether or not we have laid hold of the surrender of Christ and implemented in our walk with him or allowed him to implement it in us. God does not bring us out of sin just so we can go to heaven. He wants us to know him and serve him. We know he has a purpose and a plan for us, a ministry. Fulfilling God's ministry, answering his call, if you please, is not about the status we reach, but the surrender we make. Much of what is labeled as ministry today is nothing more than the religious manipulation of men and accomplishes absolutely nothing of eternal value. We've taken the great miracles of God in the Pentecostal church and we reduced them to manipulations of men. We mean, we made salvation, the conversion of a sinner being born again, the life of Christ being birthed in them, a great miracle. We've reduced that to repeating the sinner's prayer. And I'm not telling you nobody's ever been saved that way. And I'm not telling you the Lord's never used that method. I'm just telling you it's more than just repeating the sinner's prayer. It's being born again, made a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. A triumph over sin. Death, hell, and the grave. We've heard of the men by the masses. And because they said a few words, we told them they were saved, and they weren't. 
taking the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And we made that about repeating a few sounds. I'm going to tell you, you need more than BBs when the devil shows up tomorrow. It's a miracle. And the miracle is that God took your tongue, the most unruly thing in your body. And if he's got control of your tongue, that means it's evidence that he's got control of all of you. We've made it a manipulation of men. And that's why the world can make fun of it. And that's why the world can make fun of speaking in tongues. Because we've made it a manipulation of religion. We've taken divine healing. We made it about, woo, woo, woo. There's 25 people here that's got sinus trouble. And I'm not telling you again, God had never healed like that. I'm just telling you, you get to South Louisiana. If you got 50 people, 25 of them got sinus trouble. No revelation of God. It's a manipulation of men. When the world sees that, it can make fun of it because it's not sacred. Come on, church, let's be honest. I've been in Pentecost most all my life. I've seen it all come and go. Back when I was a young man, they had Saturday Night Live, had a church lady on it. You older folks remember church lady? Y'all shouldn't have been watching Saturday Night Live. (laughs) I'm just telling you, she can make fun of precious things because we didn't keep them sacred. Anybody remember Sanford and Son? Remember Aunt Esther? Oh! Making fun of stuff that we've seen that was real. True or false? True or false besides Brother Ronnie? True. When we forfeited the triumph, Christ won us. It comes from surrender. I got to hurry. I know I preach a long time. I wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) Have we laid hold of the surrender of Christ? God wants to implement in our walk with him. God brought us out of sin, not just to get get us to heaven. He wants us to want to know him. So I've been preaching this glorious gospel for over 35 years. Much of what I've labeled in my mind and ministry for or to other people have proven in time to really be for me. To show me, teach me something so I can know God better. As I told you this morning, the most difficult times in my life have ended up being the greatest blessings because I came out of them knowing God better. And I learned things that I could not possibly have learned in any other way. In spite of what men have tried to make it, this walk with God, It's all about a personal, intimate relationship with him. Therefore, our doings are really irrelevant if there is no surrender in our being. Our surrender to him is for us. Listen to me. But his surrender in us is for him. Our surrender to him is for us. But his surrender in us is for him. The vessel of honor. The temple of the Holy Ghost that allows the Holy Ghost to reside. This is the foundation for Pentecost. And folks, we need the Holy Ghost to help us fully embrace the surrender of Christ. Oh, brethren, there is a sacredness found in surrender that has been lost in our modern-day approach to salvation. 
We must not forget salvation is of God, not man. We don't save ourselves. Salvation is God's ideas, not ours. Therefore, he brings definition to it, not us. When our humanity touches anything, all we bring to whatever it is is death and corruption because that's our nature. That's why he just wants a vessel. Carnality kills yours and mine. So the carnal approach to the sacred ultimately brings death, which forfeits the depths of intimacy and relationship. Don't tell me surrender doesn't make a difference. Without it, the disciples, if we don't have the surrender, the disciples only had three and a half years to get to know Christ and he was gone. We only have a lifetime to get to know him and we're gone. But with surrender, we all can have all of eternity to know him. Do you see the difference? The surrender of Christianity is available to us. And I believe it points to a level of a relationship that few ever reach. So let's be honest. We struggle with surrender. In our humanity, we just cannot fathom how we gain by giving up. God's economy is not like ours at all. Not necessarily talking about surrender, not necessarily to Christ, but implementing the surrender of Christ in our walk. There are varying degrees or levels in relationship. And as I prepared this message, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart, and I believe this is what he told me. Students, know my word. Students, know my word. Sheep, know my voice. Servants, know my will. Sons know my mind, but only those who surrender can remove all limits and truly come to know my heart, which is to know me. I'll say that again in case you're taking notes. Students know my word. Sheep know my voice. Servants know my will. Sons know my mind. But only those who surrender can remove all limits and truly come to know my heart, to know me. So as the backup singers come, and as I close, I want you to hear me. God brought a man by the name of Abraham to a place where he was willing to surrender his son Isaac as a sacrifice unto the Lord. But he did that prior to Calvary. If God could bring a man to such a place in relationship before the ultimate expression and extension of grace had been made at the cross, how much further in relationship should he be able to bring us on this side of Calvary if we will but surrender and allow his surrender to be established in our hearts? Somehow Abraham knew God would provide. Yet we seem to struggle to let go of the simplest things. Somehow. Because listen, church. Abraham did not experience the provision of God until he surrendered to God. Oh, come on. There's a truth there. I don't have time to preach it. But he didn't experience the provision of God until he surrendered to God. So there are, there's some things that only come when we surrender. Not just to Christ again, 
But the implementation of the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost, the, in the surrender of Christ in our walk with God. I took time this afternoon. I had my wife pulled it up on the phone for me to listen to it. Exodus chapter 21. You know, the Old Testament is full of types. But in Exodus 21, we find what some scholars label the law of servants. Said if you're a servant, you've served a master for six years. When it comes to that seventh year, you can go to the master and declare your freedom. He'll let you go. If you come in with a wife, you can leave with a wife. But if you got married and had children while you were there, you had to leave the wife and the children. Law of the servants. But but he goes on to say, but in that seventh year, if the servant loves his master, they go and they can put a hole in his ear. He can serve his master for life. I want to tell you, the Lord is trying to teach us something there. It's more than just a law. It's principles to live by. Could there possibly be a greater response to the greatest love of all? A love that cannot be defined than a love that refuses to leave. Service and surrender for life to masters came to a deeper deeper level of relationship than any other because they surrendered to the master for life. Would you join me in such a surrender tonight? I have not learned again or fully embraced it, but I want to. And I know it's available, but I still struggle with way too much in me. So as we come to the close, we are living in a world that struggles with submission. It frowns upon commitment and literally looks down upon surrender. But we got to admit that we're influenced by that carnality. You got you can't help but be. But the kind of surrender we're dealing with is foreign to our world. The perversions of this world cause people to struggle with how to respond to genuine love. As a matter of fact, if you love somebody today, they think you got an angle. They almost look at you like you're perverted if you really love them. Isn't it amazing that pure love is now looked upon as perversion? There's without a doubt a level of living that only comes from this kind of surrender. So here we sit in God's house. He's on the throne. Amen. He's in control and he's on his way. And he has a plan in motion. And the church is a part of that plan. Where he's going to let this whole world know who he really is. We can do more than submit to a love that never ends. Surely a love that never ceases deserves more than just a commitment of love in return. A love that never stops deserves our complete surrender. And I believe it's time for the church to let go and let God be God. What is else is there really to do when we come to the end of ourselves? When we've ran out of everything, nothing, zero, none, tapped out, completely empty. Battery is on zero. What do we do? What do we do? You know what you do, you young people, when your battery on your phone is on zero. What do you do? Plug it into what? Power. Do you have a charger, old Grove? Do you have a charger, old Grove? This world needs to know there's a charger on this corner. 
Something is plugged in. Something where they can get connected to heaven. And surrender brings that. This is when knowing God means the most. So tonight, I want you to join me as we surrender completely in every area. So the surrender of Christianity, the surrender of Christ can be established in our hearts and lives. Listen, it could be argued, and I'm not telling you it's the truth. We don't know. But if Jesus Christ had not fully surrendered in his human will to our Heavenly Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe his flesh would have just become another carcass. But because he did, his sacrifice on the cross was for my sin and yours. And that flesh came out of the grave. He knows how to raise you up too. Not just in the end and the resurrection, but he knows how to raise you up out of whatever you're consumed with tonight again. So it will be for all surrender. So my question to you, is there anything in your life that's hindering Christ from having his complete and perfect way? I want us to come. This is Sunday night crowd, family time. I want us to come and just love God a bit. Just lift your hand, your circumstance, your situation to him. Would you stand? And let's just come love him. Let him fill you with your glory. Amen. Would you come? Would you come and join me? Let's love God as Sister Christy and the backup singers lead us in some worship. Let's just love him. Respond to the greatest love that there ever will be. Let him fill you with his glory.